Good morning, church family. It is good to have you here today. I, it's kind of an unusual day. Um, this morning before the first service, my phone went off and I had a message from uh, Doug Lawson, who is our, one of our mission partners in Kenya. And uh, just as I was sitting down there, phone went off, and it was just Doug saying, Hello, Pastor, we're praying for your service today. May God bless you and use you in a mighty way. And then, coming in for the second service, my phone goes off again. This time I have a message from Jennifer uh, in Kenya. Uh, these are our, our people out of our church. If you, if you don't know these folks, these are people out of our church who are missionaries with Water Missions International uh, serving in Kenya. Uh, we had a team go there recently. But I just want you to hear what she writes. And it just came in a few minutes ago. Hey, Pastor, just wanted to write and tell you that we started the I Am series today. I'm really excited that you're doing this series. I, I'm not sure if you remember my blog about my neighbors and their salvation. But we meet now once a, once a week and have Bible study. We're going through the book of John first and are currently in chapter 7. We try to do a chapter a week, but sometimes it's less depending on discussion or questions. It is a great reminder for me as I try to teach and answer tough questions on just this. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to my neighbors and to all of us? Anyway, I just want you to be encouraged and thank you for encouraging our family even from afar. So, so this question we're looking at, who is Jesus? is not just a question for us. It's a question for the world. It's a question that everybody has to answer. You know, I, I just Googled uh, this week, I Googled the question, who is Jesus? I was surprised to find out that I got 756 million results in 0.33 seconds. I will confess to you, I didn't read them all. You know, unlike the question, does God exist? If you have that question, you, you can get in debate with a lot of people. Does God exist? There's lots of people who would say... No, or, or some people at least, atheists who would say, no, God doesn't exist. But unlike that question, very few people question whether or not Jesus Christ existed. It is generally accepted that Jesus truly was at least a man who lived in Israel about 2,000 years ago. And the debate begins, not on did he exist, the debate begins when you talk about his full identity. Who really was he? You know, almost every major religion in the world teaches that there was a man named Jesus who lived in Israel. Almost every major religion in the world, regardless of what religion you name, almost every major religion will acknowledge Jesus existed and they will call him either a prophet or a good teacher or they'll call him a godly man. And again, the problem is, the Bible tells us that Jesus is so much more than that. He's infinitely more than a good prophet or a good teacher or a godly man. So the question we're looking at this summer is, is a simple question. What did Jesus say about himself? Now sometime around AD 70 to 85, there was a man named John who set out to answer that question. Who is Jesus? And what did he say about himself? Now John was qualified to write because he was an apostle of Jesus and he had first-hand knowledge of who Jesus claimed to be. And John tells us in his gospel, not just once but throughout his gospel, John tells us that Jesus did indeed describe himself on multiple occasions. And he used a phrase when he did that. The phrase was, I am. And he described himself in different ways. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. 
Today we're going to be looking at another time when Jesus used that phrase, I am, to describe himself. When he declared, I am the door. What did he mean when he said, I am the door? Would you take your Bibles, if you haven't gotten them open already, let's go to the Gospel of John chapter 10. The Gospel of John chapter 10. The first time that Jesus ever explained this concept that he is the door, he used an illustration that was familiar to probably everyone who heard him tell the story. It was language they could all understand. He, he talked in terms of sheep and sheep, uh, sheep folds and shepherds. You see, in that day, the Judean hillsides were covered with sheep and shepherds, and there was very little industry in Israel as we would think of it today, but uh, it, there was more farming and, and uh, sheep herding than anything. And, and probably every hillside you would see sheep and you would see shepherds. In fact, if you go to Israel with me today, you'll still see shepherds out in the distance in the pastures of Israel. It's just a common thing in that, in that area. Something they saw every day of their lives. And so Jesus used that setting to describe another facet of his identity. And I want you to notice how this chapter begins. He begins with these words, I tell you the truth. Now, you usually don't start a conversation that way, do you? You may, say, you may use that phrase in the middle of a conversation. You may say, I, I, I'm telling you the truth, but it's in the middle of a conversation. You don't usually start a conversation with the phrase, I tell you the truth. Now, if you're reading from a translation other than the NIV, which is what I use, uh, if you're reading from perhaps the King James, it says, verily, verily. Or New American Standard, or the ESV says, truly, truly. Or the CSV says, truly I tell you. Or if you're reading from the Greek New Testament, it literally says, amen, amen. So, the, the beginning here in chapter 10 is kind of significant. In fact, whenever Jesus used this phrase, verily, verily, or I tell you the truth, it was always a way of signifying what I'm about to say is very significant. It's a way of saying, hey, 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 don't miss this. You, don't, don't, don't miss it. Listen, listen. This is very important. Don't miss this. So when he uses this phrase at the beginning of chapter 10, I tell you the truth, or verily, verily. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you is of utmost importance. Now the second significant thing about that phrase is, it's never used ever in the New Testament. It's never used to, uh, to introduce new information. It's never used to, to introduce a fresh topic. It's it's always used in reply to something that has already been said. We don't have time to study it now, but if you take any notes, we'd like to look at it. An example is found in John 8, 34, and verse 51, and verse 58. John 8, verse 34, verse 51, and 58. Three times in John chapter 8, Jesus used this phrase, Verily, verily, or I tell you the truth. And every time in John chapter 8 where he uses that phrase, it's always in the context of a conversation. It's always in reply to something that has already been said. Now, why would that be important for us today to know that? Because when you come to John chapter 10, watch this. When you come to John chapter 10 and he begins chapter 10 by saying, Verily, verily, or I I tell you the truth. What you need to understand is this. John chapter 10 is a continuation of John chapter 9. It's a continuation of the conversation. 
in John chapter 9. So the conversation continues. What Jesus said in chapter 10 is a continuation of what happened in chapter 9. Now let's refresh our memories real quick. What happened in John chapter 9? Well, in John chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. Right before that, he declared himself to be the light of the world. And then he demonstrated that by healing a man who had lived in darkness his entire life. That's John chapter 9. Now the problem with him doing that miracle is this. He performed that miracle on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees didn't like what he did. The Pharisees were very upset that he would dare, he'd have the audacity to heal somebody on the Sabbath. And so there was this great debate and contention between the Pharisees and the man born blind who was healed. And the Pharisees were trying to get the man born blind to criticize and condemn Jesus for what he did. And the man born blind was like, he healed me. I'm not going to say anything against him. And so they got mad at him, and they literally threw him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated. Watch this. This is so important. The spiritual leaders who should have been taking care of this man instead rejected him and tossed him aside like false shepherds always do. Remember that. You see, false shepherds don't really care about the sheep. False shepherds care about themselves. And so remember that little nugget of the story. Now, it's interesting what happened after he got tossed out of church. You know what Jesus did when Jesus found out about it? Jesus went to him and took him in. Let's read it, John chapter 9. Go back to chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him with your own eyes. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So here's the picture. The ones who should have been his spiritual guides, his leaders, his shepherd, they threw him out. They didn't care about him. Jesus, who was the true shepherd, came and took him in. Isn't that a beautiful story right there? Jesus came and took him in. Now, that's just the context for, for us to understand our text in John chapter 10. Let's begin reading in verse 1. I'll tell you what, in honor of God's word, let, let's stand today. Let's, would you stand as we read John chapter 10? Beginning in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a what? A thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Thank you. Would you be seated? <clears throat> Jesus, as he gives this illustration, is using this, the picture of a communal structure, a sheep pen, if you will, made with stone walls. We want to put a picture up to let you see kind of what that would have looked like in that day. Uh, the sheep pen in that day was made out of, of rock, and 
And there's plenty of rock in Israel, let me tell you. There's rock everywhere in Israel. And so they, they'd take the rocks and they would make this, this pen, this wall, this stone wall. And, and there was one way in, only one way in, and, and the sheep would go in there. And there would be one outside of the village. Every village would have one. And, and it would be a kind of a communal thing. So all the shepherds would bring their sheep in at night out of the pasture. They would put them in the sheep pen. And there would be one watchman standing at the door to protect the sheep throughout the night. Then the next morning when it was time to leave, the shepherd, when it's time to take them back out to pasture, the shepherd would come to the watchman, come to the door, and the shepherd would call out his sheep by name. Black ear. White leg. Doofus. He would call his sheep by name and they would recognize their name and they would recognize his voice and they would leave the crowd in the sheep pen, the fold in the sheep pen. And they would go out because they heard the voice of their shepherd and they would follow him out of the sheep pen into the pasture. So that's the story. That's the setting Jesus is talking about here. Now Jesus talks about two groups of people who have access to the sheep. In verse 1, he's talking about the thief and the robber. A thief, by his very nature, only thinks about himself. A robber is trying to take something from you, not do something for you. And Jesus said there are those in the world who, who are trying to do that. There, are, there is an enemy in the world who is trying to take something from you rather than do something for you. And Jesus referred to them as thieves and robbers. In contrast to that, he talks about the shepherd. And the shepherd has a wonderful relationship with his sheep. He knows the sheep. They know him. He cares for the sheep. They trust him. In fact, they trust him so much they're willing to follow him. And let's look at the text again. I want you to listen to the intimacy in these verses. Verse 3 and 4. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen for his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them he doesn't drive them. He just goes on ahead of them. And what happens? They follow him. What a, what a beautiful picture of intimacy the sheep have with the shepherd. Now, let me tell you a true story. It kind of illustrates what we just read. In World War I, the Turkish soldiers who were occupying uh, Judea, they came to Jerusalem and, and some of them decided to plunder the unsuspecting shepherds around Jerusalem. And so they made their move by force. They had their guns and they took the sheep away from the shepherds. There was nothing the shepherds could do. They were no match for the soldiers and for their guns. And so they were forced to relinquish their flocks over to the thieves. But the shepherds had a, had a secret weapon the soldiers didn't know about. See that night... The shepherds found where the sheep were being held. And across the pasture, there came a call. And all of a sudden, these sheep came awake. They became alert. They began to look around. And they heard the call again. And all of a sudden, the sheep and a whole group of them just got up and started trotting past the soldiers, past the guns, going out towards the call of the shepherd because they heard a voice they recognized and they followed him. Jesus used a similar illustration to show this very basic truth. God knows you and God cares about you. And God wants a relationship with you. 
You see, the thing that God wants for you more than anything else, God wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with each of us. And regardless of our past failures, regardless of our current problems, we have the potential to know God intimately and to know God personally. And all God's people said, you would think after Jesus gave them this illustration that people would be saying, sign me up. That's what I need. That's what I want. But look at verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Maybe some of you know what that's like. Like, I still don't get it. I've been coming here for a while now, and I still don't get it. I still don't understand. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time grasping what this Bible is talking about. I'm having a hard time understanding how I can have a relationship with God. I'm, I'm still having a hard time grasping how Jesus 2,000 years ago can have a difference, make a difference in my life. So if that's you, I want you to know something. Jesus is not going to give up on you. Because look what happens. He changes the metaphors he tells a different illustration, uses a different illustration in verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said, what's that next word? Jesus said what? Again. And what did he say again? Here's that phrase. I tell you the truth. Verily, verily. This is very, very important. He says again, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Now, most of your translations do not use the word gate. Most of your translations, King James, New King James, New American Standard, ESV, uh, Holman translation, most of your translations uses the word door. I am the door. It's the same concept, but most of your translation uses the word door. Now, I've got a question for you. I want you to think about it. Don't answer out loud. But here's the big question, an important question. What do doors do? And what doors do? Doors give us access. The purpose of a door is not to limit access. That's a wall. The purpose of a door is to give you access into an area you wouldn't have otherwise. A door makes something that was inaccessible accessible. Listen, if you've watched Chip and Joanna Gaines on Fixer Upper, you know about this. Anybody watch that show? I mean, you know, Joanna says, Babe, I'm going to... We're going to do this and change this, and, and I need you to cut me a, a door here in this wall. We're, we're going to change things up and move it out and cut me a door here in this wall. And, and then Chip starts acting crazy and says goofy things and makes faces, but eventually he, he cuts out the door, right? And now suddenly, suddenly now you have access to an area you didn't have access to before. You understand who Jesus is? Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the one that gives you access to God. He's the only one who can give us access to God. Let's look at the text. I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. Look at the text, verse 7. Jesus, I tell you the truth, I am the gate, the door. For the sheep, all who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. The thieves and robbers here would be a reference to false messiahs and false prophets, but, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, he repeats it again in verse 9. I am the gate, I am the door. Whoever enters through me 
will be saved. Now, I want you to look at this picture again. There's something else you need to learn about the sheep pen. Did you notice that in this particular picture, there literally is not a gate there? There literally is not a door there. So how do you keep the sheep inside the pen once they're in there at night? You know how the shepherds do it? They lay down in the doorway. So that if anything is coming in or going out, they're going through the shepherd who is the door. The shepherd literally is the door to the sheep pen. Jesus said in verse 9, I am the door. And if anyone, watch what he says, and if anyone enters through me, if anyone enters through me, I am the door. I'm the one that gives you access to God. That's the first point I want you to grab today. That Jesus gives us access to God. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he'll be saved. Now, would you please notice in your Bibles, he did not say, I am a door. There's a lot of people who want you to believe that that's what Jesus is. He's a door to God. We'll talk about this more when we get to John 14. But I want to tell you something. He's not a door to God. He is the door to God. The only door to God. Just like there was only one door into the ark. And there was only one door into the tabernacle. There was only one door into the temple. So Jesus is the only door, the one door, into relationship with Jesus Christ, or relationship with God. Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2.18. He said, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father. We have access to the Father through Jesus. So, we come back to the text one more time. I want you to see something else in verse 9 where Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Remember the story of the blind man? Do you remember how he came to faith in Christ? After he was thrown out of, out of the, uh, the synagogue, do you, do you remember what happened to him? Jesus came to him, or thrown out of the temple rather. Jesus came to him. And he wasn't saved because he was at the temple that day. He wasn't saved by going to the temple. He was saved because he came face to face with Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe. That's what changed him. It wasn't the temple. It was his faith in Jesus. In other words, he went through the door and had a relationship with God. Now, verse 10 is the decisive verse. Verse 10 is the verse we're building towards the first point that I hope that you grabbed was this one, that Jesus is our access to God. The second point I want you to grab is this one. Both Satan and Jesus have a goal for your life. What he said in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the decisive verse in the text. He says, both Satan and Jesus have a goal for your life. First of all, the thief, his goal is this. Talk to me. What's his goal? It's to do what? Three things. To do what? Still kill and destroy. That's his goal. That's his goal for your life. He's a thief. I don't know if you heard this story, but... but uh, it's a true story, but maybe you didn't see this on the news. Bob's famous ice cream parlor in Bethesda, Maryland was robbed. Did you all hear that? He was robbed, but the manager, Nathan Peabody, was warned in time, thankfully. You see, what happened was, moments before the robbery, he was contacted 
by the telephone, and the voice said, this is the police department, and are you the manager? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, well, I don't want you to panic. This is the police, and we believe you're, you're about to be robbed. And so here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you not to resist. Go ahead and give the, the guy the money. And when he comes out of the store, we'll grab him. It's important that we grab him with money in hand. So when he comes out of the store, we'll catch him, and we appreciate your cooperation. So he's pretty nervous about it, but sure enough, a few minutes later, the man came in, scruffy beard and a knife, demanding money. Mr. Peabody did as he was told on the phone. He gave him the cash in the drawer, and he watched him run out the door, and he waited to watch the police move in and grab him. And all he saw was the man get in the car and drive away. Then he realized that the call didn't come from the police department. It came from the thief. Now, don't you all get any ideas this week? You see, that's the way a thief works. He's sneaky. That's the way a thief works. He's, he's always trying to take something from you. A thief is never trying to help you. He's always trying to hurt you. And Jesus said, you've got an enemy. And he's not trying to help you. He's trying to hurt you. In fact, I was meditating on this verse yesterday, and I realized there's a word there that, that I had overlooked. I want to make sure you don't overlook it. It's the word only. Would you look in the text for that word? He says in verse 10, the thief comes only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. You know what that word only is saying? That's his only purpose. He never comes to help you. He always comes to hurt you. He never comes because he has good intentions for you. He always has bad intentions for you. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, both Satan and Jesus have a goal for your life. Satan's goal for your life is this. He always, only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I wish we could grab hold of that, don't you? I wish we could, that would sink in. I wish we could understand that there is an enemy and he only comes, his only purpose is to destroy something in our lives or our families. I've seen him do it so many times over the years. You say, well, Pastor, I, you know, things are pretty good for me right now. I, I, I don't know that I really need the Lord. I mean, th things are going pretty good. And home's good, marriage is good, money's good, I, 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 health is good. Everything. I don't really don't have any problems. I don't see what the issue is. You just wait. You just wait because the enemy may not be harassing you now, but he'll be back. And when he comes back, I want you to understand something. He only steals, kills, and destroys. That's his goal. That's his purpose. In contrast to that, Jesus said, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come for a different reason. I have come that they may have life. I have come that they may have it to the full. You know, sometimes in our witnessing, I, I think we're guilty of declaring a gospel of the next life while ignoring this one. But Jesus didn't do that. 
Jesus talked about the difference he could make in this life, not just the difference he would make in the next life. He said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, he's saying, I'm coming not to take something from you. I'm coming to give something to you. I'm coming not to hurt you. I'm coming to help you. I'm coming to make a difference in your life today and not just a difference in your eternity tomorrow. So here's the lesson. Both Satan, both Satan and Jesus, and both have a goal for your life. And you decide who you follow, don't you? You decide who you're going to follow. And the condition is in verse 9. I want you to read this before we close. The condition is in verse 9. Here's what he says. I am the gate. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Everyone who enters through that door called Jesus, the Bible says, can have their sins forgiven. Everyone who enters through that door called Jesus can have a relationship with God. Everyone who enters through that door called Jesus can have victory over death. They can be rescued from hell. They can have a home in heaven. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, suddenly, look up here at the picture, suddenly Jesus becomes a door that gives us access into God. He becomes a door that gives us access into a relationship with the Holy God that we do not deserve. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the way to have a relationship with God. I'm the access you need. I want to close by telling you something that you already know, but you hadn't thought about a bit. You know that there was only one way you came into this building today, and that is you came through at least one door. You probably came through more than one, but every person here, without exception, every person here, you came through a door. It's the only way you had access. Otherwise, you would have been outside, maybe wanting to get inside, but if there were no doors, if it was just only walls, there'd be no way for you to have access, no way for you to get inside. There's no way, as sinful people, we could have access to a holy God. It would be like there was this huge wall that we could never get around. We could never get over it. We could never get under it. We could never get beyond it. It's just this wall separating me from a holy God. And Jesus said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm the door that will give you access to what you need. And here's what I want to tell you. I hope somebody will say amen. Here's what I want to tell you. Life is different on the other side of the door. Life is far better on the other side of the door. You don't understand what awaits you on the other side of the door until, by faith, you walk through. You need to do that? Would you want to do that today? I hope so. Would you pray with me? You could say this morning, Lord Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you, in you alone. Lord Jesus, today I'm deciding to follow you. You see, Satan and Jesus both have a goal for your life. One wants to hurt you. One wants to help you. You decide right now who you're going to follow. I pray you walk through the door by faith and say, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Father, thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen.